0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia, and as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello
1: and welcome.
0: For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com.
1: And today, our guest is Christian Bukusis, but he's just known as Boo. It's a whole lot easier because I couldn't even begin to spell that surname. He's a speaker. He's an author, an entrepreneur, and he's into productivity tools, whatever the hell that means. Uh, We'll we'll explore that in a minute. Um, He's based in Sydney. Welcome, Christian. Welcome, Boo.
2: Thanks, Lindsay, and look, you you can call me Christian because you're one of the few people that actually pronounces my my name correctly without any prompting, so kudos to you. you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I've uh, been looking forward to this one. We've had a few uh, near misses on the way in, but we finally managed to get ourselves. uh, Lockdown's helped us, I think.
1: (laughs) Give us the rundown on your background because you've had a rather unique history and it would just be great to set the context of your um, your employment history so far.
2: <laughs> yeah, employment history is an interesting one. I've been employed by one employer in my life, which has been the Royal Australian Air Force. ever since then, uh, when I left after eleven years, I've had I've gone out and tried to uh, make things happen for myself. Uh, so yeah, I, I was a, a fighter pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force. I joined straight from school. Uh, I, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot uh, from a very young age as a kid i'm I'm learning now as a as a executive coach and and uh, writing a new book. and I've always had a feeling that purpose is important, but i'm I'm really starting to see now how how all-encompassing a, a concept of purpose is. And I think I was exceedingly lucky to. Have that sense of purpose from an incredibly young age. Um, I was recently diagnosed with adult ADD, actually, uh, which is which is. So I think the air force kind of saved me there. That 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 methodology and process and follow the bouncing ball and and that purpose and focus just meant that I, I probably wouldn't have been uh, able to achieve um, what I achieved at school and uh, as a fighter pilot without having that structure. Uh, so yeah, I. Joined, yeah. I repeated Year Twelve. I wasn't very good at school. Still, I'm very, very poor academically. Um, but uh, I think I've traded what I, what I can't do academically in terms of execution and getting things done. So my, my career pathway meandered from Air Force to Afghanistan. Uh, I've, I set up a company over there called CTG Global. Today, that's one of the largest humanitarian project companies on the planet. Uh, I started. We had a bit of a vision and a purpose there, which was to be an altruistic service provider in post-war-torn countries, uh, which, we, which we achieved. Um, we sold out of that sort of three years after, after starting it. Uh, then back through Papua New Guinea, uh, attempted to build a hotel, uh, which unfortunately fell through. Then back uh, to Australia, uh, I made a, a foray into prefabricated modular construction of high-rise buildings Uh, Built some IP and technology around that, uh, built a hotel over where you are, uh, Royale, over in uh, Perth there on Wellington Street, built a 17-storey modular hotel uh, back, uh, oh gosh, that finished, man, when is that now? Nearly five years ago, um, we completed that. Uh, and then along the way, uh, got involved in publishing for a little bit, bought um, the the oldest aviation publishing business in Australia and transformed that into a digital publishing business, sold that, uh, got involved with a organisation called Afterburner, which uh, uses the fighter pilot methodologies uh, to help strategy to execution in business, a very strong lean on excellence there, which is where your uh, podcast resonated with me very deeply. Uh, and uh, from there, really, uh, that that is kind of a strategy to execution productivity space, bit of a unique space. And someone told me once, I'm I'm in productivity, so I guess that's where I am. Uh, when speak bureaus or Good to or know customers. where you are, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but what do you do? I do it. They're like, sounds like you're in productivity. I'm like, yep. That if that means getting from A to B faster and aligning people and being more successful and uh, everyone doing amazing
0: things, then I guess I'm in productivity. Fair enough. So, so- so let me ask you, put it like this, you know, you had this vision from an early age of what you wanted to do and how that sort of shaped where you're at, but but the the truth of it is that people get in their own way, and sometimes they just have to get out of their own way, and how do they do that? I think
2: that's the biggest handbrake to people living their best lives is, is themselves, uh, and that sounds like a, a cutesy phrase, but what I find fascinating uh, as, a, as a coach now is just observing it observing the behavior observing people who come up with a great idea and start to push it through and then just start to let go of it i had an interesting uh incident when i was coming through so you, you basically train on a prop aircraft when you start in the air force and you transition onto a small jet and that jet in australia was called the Mackie, uh just a just a two-seat uh, i don't know little little zippy jet and um, and then you, you go on and fly uh, the big fighter jets uh, but when I was on that on that aircraft um, my uncle who I was very close to who was also a pilot was killed in an he he, he crashed his helicopter and unfortunately there was another uh, passenger in there who who died as well and I was doing reasonably well like I'm uh, I, I like to say well, my life is is the example of the worst of the high achievers you know if there's eight people you know rowing crew I'm the eighth or I, I was in the first six volleyball, and I was the sixth to get there. I was the last person on the track and field team, and I'm pretty sure I was the last bloke selected for fighter training off my pilot's course as well. But, hey, <laughs> as, as long as you get there, that's what counts, I guess. Uh, so, so I was getting through, and I was, I was doing reasonably well. You know, I hadn't, hadn't had any major dramas. And then the day after uh, my uncle died, uh, I was told about it. I had probably one of the first, the worst missions I ever flew, I, uh, you know, you get ranked from one to one to seven, I think, or one to five, can't remember now. I got like a one, which is, which is, look, you get through, but you, you know, the microscope's on you. And the next day I flew again and I got another one. And um, I didn't feel, I felt fine. yeah And uh, I was wondering what was going on. And the, the boss of the squadron pulled me into the office and he's like, uh, mate, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's strange. <laughs> Everything's been going fine. I don't know. It just must be one of those days. And it was that, that weather in Perth where it's normally fine, but all of a sudden it got really wet and rainy and stormy and the weather really deteriorated. So I was like, it must be the weather. And he goes, any, any big life experiences you've had or anything going on in life? And I'm like, Oh yeah, my uncle died the other day and he's a helicopter pilot. And as soon as I said it, I just burst into tears, like uncontrollably. And I was so upset by this event Uh, and I, and I hadn't realized it. And, um, he said, look, mate, we're going to take you off the flying program for a few days, and this was back in the 90s, so there's no such thing as a psychologist back then. They'd send you off to the base padre, uh, who was the, uh, you know, mass on Sundays and pilot counsellor during, during the week. And uh, and he, he just sat down to me straight away, and he goes, oh, yep, I've seen this before. It's not a problem. You're a grieving by sabotaging your success. And I'm like, what does that mean? That That sounds ridiculous. And he goes, oh. Because you're unable to grieve because you're a man and you don't do grieving, what you're subconsciously decided to do is sabotage your career instead. And I was like, oh, okay, no, no, still didn't really resonate with him. And he talked through it and we had a chat about it. And I just sort of made the decision to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that is, is something I need to have a think about. And I thought about it and I did the grieving process uh, because my my uncle taught me to fly. And when I was a kid, my cousins and I, we used to go to his farm and muster cattle and did a lot of development as a kid, learn to drive a car, shoot a gun, go hunting, muster cows, ride a horse, fly a helicopter, all through my uncle. And and that for me, and I was only uh, 19, 20 at the time, and I thought- Wow, that that was really interesting. And then my career from that point on was fine. I was always a really happy guy. Uh, It was hard, but but I was successful. So every time I see someone self sabotaging or or getting in the way, that story pops up in my mind. And rather than kind of think about it, you know, like was in self sabotage, that's a joke. You know, who? How does that? Having that experience makes me a bit more empathetic towards people who are who are doing it. And I and I call them on it really quickly. And I go, look, don't. Don't step away from your idea here. Like lean into it. It's you're putting your own handbrake here. You're you're creating fear and and barriers that don't actually exist. So that's a pretty long long answer for a short question, mate.
1: <laughs> it is, and it's an interesting one because I think a lot of people get in their own way. They know what they need to do. They know the strategy but they don't necessarily execute. How do we connect? I mean, you're you're into strategy. How do we connect strategy with execution?
2: Look, I think that is the easiest thing to do and the hardest thing to do. Um, One of the other interesting uh, elements about being a fighter pilot is it's one of the few professions where you create strategy and you're a very strategic thinker because of the your, your your mission profile you cross different countries you're moving very quickly there's a lot going on underneath you you're you're moving through different phases of the battle space very quickly so so you're very strategically minded because everything you do has a disproportionate effect uh, but at the same time you're flying you're, you're the tactical guy you're, you're also the person who's responsible for for um maneuvering this aircraft around and i think what that creates in you is you you you're very careful about what you commit to and you're very careful about creating strategies that you know you're accountable for for delivering. And I th- and one of the challenges, particularly in in large businesses, in fact, that not even large business, any businesses, small, medium enterprises, the same business owners, especially, is because we're telling people what to do, we start to become disconnected with what it takes to get something done, uh, and we just think because we've had this great idea and. We've had all this thinking time, and we've we've had, we've slept on something, and the next day we're like, you know what, we should be doing this. this is what's going to transform the business? And everyone's at work still living in yesterday, and we have this big disconnect between what we want to. do. I call it the the want plan do gap. Um, but there's this gap between what the leadership or the owners want to do. Uh, it's 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 a lot further away than than what they plan to do because they kind of know, like instinctively, they they know that. This is a big thing. So I'm just going to chunk it down a little bit. And then even that's overly optimistic. And then they go and achieve, the team achieves below that expectation. Uh, So when you have this big want, plan, do gap, uh, you you create a strategy that's unexecutable. So a a key part of that and and what part of the methodologies that I teach is debriefing, which is, hey, what, what do we set out to achieve here? What actually happened today? Why is there a gap? And what are we going to do about it? And one of the key Root causes, but for execution gaps, is overly optimistic plans, which which come from uh, this cognitive bias of of optimism bias or or, or Dunning Kruger effect. These these kind of um, reasonably well documented phenomena that makes us always think we can do more than we can actually do, and other people are never able to to achieve the same levels that we can achieve. So it must be their fault. Uh, and it creates a lot of tension inside organisations. This this bias towards overly optimistic outcomes.
0: Well, let me ask you a lot of leadership coaches go around and and sort of you know part of their mantra is you know telling managers that they that they must step away from the execution. And is that part of the problem? Is that that managers and leaders have been conditioned into being these Gurus going to the mountain, thinking for a bit, coming up with a plan, and then throwing it at the staff and seeing it if it sticks, and being told not to be hands-on. There's a nuance in
2: that perspective. Um, one of the one of the CEOs I'm really impressed by is Brad Banducci. Uh, the CEO of Woolworths and I I got to work in Woolworths for three years doing some strategy and execution work uh, in the uh, CIO's office in the because the the main issue for Woolworths three four uh, and this was four years ago now was moving from a legacy digital uh, environment into the new world they had Woolworths X they had online shopping uh, competition from menu log and all of these uh, up and comers so they had to move really quickly in that space and and he came in as a CEO only about six months before I, I started there. But he was a he was a very strategically-minded individual, uh, having started Vintage Sellers as an entrepreneur and, and moved into Woolworths from there. And what I observed at Woolworths was it didn't matter who you were, you wore the same name tag as they were on the checkout. So if you go out to the Woolworths office and, and see everyone walking around, everyone has the same name tag on. So you create this humility and connection across the 200,000 people that that work there, purely just the way that everyone walks around. And most executives would balk at the idea of wearing the same name tag as someone that works on the front line at an entry level of the job, right? And then every month as an executive, you have to work in the supermarket on the scanner. You have to go out and 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 help with box packing or, or do something that's actually in, in the store. And they've grown that company now to the biggest company in Australia. And they are so connected that... They understand implicitly the effect on the workforce from the strategies that they set. And I loved working in that environment because that, that, was, that was the song sheet that, that I sing from. And I've never been in an environment that's so aligned to that fighter pilot thinking is there. So over a period of time, what I think is important is the leader has to work in the business a bit, enough to understand what it's like working in the business. But not so much that they lose sight of the bigger picture, and that, I call that situational awareness. And there's two there's two frames of mind you must have as a leader. One is on the tools flying, you know, actively there, where you have low situational awareness or very focused situational awareness on the task, and then you've got to move into big bubble situational awareness, which is the big picture and being able to see the context of of the task in all the interrelated parts. Uh, and that's a really important. A concept that fighter pilots came up with uh, way back in the 50s, which is called the OODA loop. Observe the environment around you, orientate to take advantage of it, make a decision and act. And then when you act, you observe all over again because the environment will have changed as a result of your actions. And it's a loop that goes around and round. And, and uh, in my new book, uh, which I'm currently writing, uh, which is called the GID mindset, get it done mindset, the whole pretext of that is situational awareness. Self-awareness is part of the journey. But awareness of yourself in the situations that you're in is even more important. And then when you multiply that to a team layer, the awareness of every person in the team, if you create systems that enhances that together like the Air Force does, you become an incredibly powerful team. We're talking four, 500% more productive outcomes as a team than a team without situational awareness. And there's a bit of a, I mean, I can talk you through that, but there's a there's a very definitive loop that you go through to create situational awareness. Uh, so I think I think in the knowledge era, when, when businesses and organizations used to be successful as a result of the knowledge that they had, today it's a situational awareness uh, model that works best, which is I've got so much information. I need the right information at the right time to empower good decisions. And those decisions, they don't equal tasks that they actually equal outcomes and objectives and and the work i do within a company at, at the strategy level is i don't want to hear a single task in this strategy session i do not do not tell a single person how to do their job i just want outcomes and every outcome when we leave this room must be clear and we must be able to measure it and it must be achievable at all levels uh, so 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 i think the um the best way to achieve a good strategy as a leader is have the people one up and one down in the room when you create that strategy, and that again is a is a lesson that comes out of military, what we call deliberate planning. Whereas if you've got someone that you need to go and do something for you, one of those team members is in the in the room creating the plan at the same time, uh, and we get away from that. Uh, you know, people people don't really understand how the military works. They they I think they just think you read a book and you do what you're told, and that's it, and you you're disciplined because you do what you're told really well. Whereas the opposite's true. We, we create. old, wouldn't you? No, you don't. Well, you have orders, but you, you know, as a leader, when you're falling back on an order that you, you've like you're taught, you've kind of failed as a leader. Like, like. Okay. Well, so humor me then.
1: How, when you're in sitting in that fighter jet, how fast does that thing go? What speed does it run at?
2: Look, you any, anywhere from twelve hundred to eighteen hundred kilometers per hour. It depends on what you're trying to trying to do okay. it. So I'm guessing that you you've got to think fast, and then even
1: probably even act fast. When you when you're sitting there, how do you translate that to business? If you're a leader in an organisation, how do you think and act like
2: a fighter pilot when you're sitting at your desk? You do, you do the same thing slower. Uh, that that's the benefit of it. it. Situational awareness is situational awareness. It doesn't care how fast you're going. In. And and uh, you know, I see ample bad decisions at at a slow speed. Let, let alone you know bad decisions at high speed. And I, and uh, one of the things we've, we learn is good or bad decisions is irrelevant the decision itself is what's important because once you make the decision you renew the environment around you and once the environment's renewed it allows you to make more of them uh, without a decision the environment stays vague it stays gray you, know, you you need to you need to move into the black or white end of that spectrum and that's what situational awareness is so where I where I talk to businesses about uh where you need situational awareness—that's that, around your outcomes. You you create a team and an individual outcome per day, per week, per quarter, uh, per year, and the situational awareness is is around that because we spend so much time uh, in the office doing nothing or, or doing work that doesn't deliver an outcome. I was reading something today actually uh, on this—you know, three or five hours a day in the office is spent on non-core tasks. Um,
0: so. Christian, let me ask you a question, and I'm going to carry on with the the fighter pilot analogy because that's kind of a lot of what's driven you. But one of the things that you're talking about, the situational awareness, a heads-up display, and a lot of vehicles have now got heads-up displays, is almost, in my mind, this analogy to great leadership where you can see the environment, but you can also see the detail at the same time. You know, how does it? How, do you think that that actually makes you makes pilots better or makes leaders better, being able yeah, to have this double vision? Absolutely. There's there's three steps to the, the first three steps to creating
2: situational awareness are the most important. They perceive, pre, pre, perceive, process, project. Uh, perception is automate Perception is an automated state of mind, right? So, when you've got something like a head up display. It accelerates the perception process because you don't have to go from down here to up here and go, I feel fast, I look down, I am fast, I look up, I slow down. You, you can perceive a lot more, a lot, a lot quicker because you don't you don't have that, you don't have to change your attention into two different parts of, of a vehicle. So that's that's why HUDs or heads-up displays work work quite well. The next step is is the process. That's when your computer, you know, you kick in your brain. And and one of the one of the key things about decision making in business, and most successful business, if you look at you know, you know, Samsung, uh, Microsoft, Apple, they are constantly renewing and refreshing their technology. Uh, you, you look at the best leadership uh, schools, the best coaching businesses; they are always perceiving, processing, and projecting into a new future. So so this this bit here is the faster we proceed perceive something and the better we perceive something the faster we can then think about it so if i've got if i've got the the perception of speed and the number of speed that helps me go i'm speeding much faster than if it wasn't in a heads-up display and when it when i can make that decision much faster i can project into the future and go i'm gonna i'm gonna get a speeding ticket i'm gonna crash if i keep going this fast i can then decelerate make a decision then i can go through the process again, and I can perceive now what's happening. Well, I feel slower. I look slower. Therefore, I must be slower. So these decision-making loops we take for granted. I think what, what happens in a business or what I've observed in business is because it's a social construct, we we just we make it way more political and complicated than we need to be, and that's okay. Like, that's life. You're going to do that. But I think where we can take more lessons from the, the fighter pilot mindset is Within a business, you can probably execute two to three hours a day with focus, and just get on with whatever you want. You can go and sit and read the news for the next five hours, so, sort of because that's what you do anyway. So, so we may as well take that opportunity and 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 meet in a way that enhances everyone's situational awareness and creates focus around our execution. Then have a rest. Uh, that's 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 where I come in, and the if the insight into. I guess, the success of the, the methodology that I use is I work on four rolling quarters uh, over a year. So I have a year strategy and execution program. The first 90 days is a mess. Uh, no, no one thinks outcome focused. It, it, everyone keeps going back into the task mode. The second 90 days, everyone understands objectives, but they create still create too many of them. The third, the third quarter, it starts to settle down. People start to understand and manage their optimism bias. They start to manage their task focus and convert that into an objectives focus, but it's still, still a little bit optimistic. And the fourth quarter, some magic happens. Good teams, the third quarter, it happens. Teams are, are struggling a little bit. And from that fourth quarter onwards, you have these incredible, high-performing, high-output, high-success teams and even if you have a small uh, nucleus of those inside an organization, they become infectious, and everyone else starts to mimic their activities and, and deliver things the way they do. And there's there's one other core tool, and this is where my automation and productivity is is uh, moving, and that's dashboarding. That's giving a single sheet of paper where a whole team can see the health of their business instantaneously. A bit, that's exactly that's how a cockpit works. So it's like a heads-up display. Yeah, the, yeah, perfect. The ability to create that perception and decision making in one snapshot is transformative. And in the book um, that I wrote, "Caught on Time on Target," we actually look explore some highly successful businesses that embrace dashboarding as a as a key strategic pillar for them to move forward. Christian, um, we're going to have to, uh,
1: using an air force analogy, bring this in for a landing, mate. Uh, we have been we have been zooming along at warp speed. Could I do any more bad jokes?
2: No, you. absolutely. Got um, throw it all back.
1: We um, we got to wrap it up. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here, and uh, you have sh- sh- shared some great stuff. Thank you very much. Um, should our listeners want to get in touch with you, um, how would they do that? What's the best way?
2: Uh, there's two avenues to get in touch with me personally call me uh, or to get in touch with one of our, our fighter pilot programs, that's
0: afterburner.com.au. That's fantastic. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, uh, Lindsay. And this is Railbricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. With a reminder to pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com where there are heaps of free downloadable resources for you to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.